0: A couple of weeks ago, I was, <clears throat> was at Sarah Bush visiting someone. I don't remember exactly who it was. It could have been any one of you really. But I was at Sarah Bush visiting and there was a day when I knew that hospital like the back of my hand. I knew where everything was. This time I practically had to be led around by the hand to find the room that I was going to. And it's not the first time that's happened. I think it changes every time I go. And sometimes they lead me to a room and I say, I've never been here before. This is a brand new wing or a brand new center or something new. Other times I go in and I say, oh, this used to be outpatient surgery waiting. you know, Or, or oh, this used to be a parking lot. When I remember when this used to be a parking lot. But everything changes. And, and if you've been to any of the hospitals in the area, if you've been to Union or Carl or any of them, they're all like that. They're all changing. Something within us doesn't like that, does it? You know, we we want consistency. We long for consistency. We we don't want things to change. And yet the consistency of a hospital is not the footprint of its building. That's not what we look for in consistency. Well, consistency in a hospital is consistency of care, consistency to their mission, the mission to bring healing, to bring hope to people who are hurting in some of the worst times in their life that that they'll find hope and they'll find health there in those places. And it only makes sense that over time, as a hospital does that, and as it continues to grow and change, and as medicine changes, the way we do medicine changes, things are going to change in a hospital. That means that we have to become comfortable with change. We have to be comfortable when things change. We, we have to learn to adapt. We did that a few years ago ourselves, didn't we? We had to build a new building. I remember people asking when the old building burned. They said, you're going to build a new church? I said, yeah. And they said, is it going to be just like the old one? And I said, no. Why would we? I said, you people don't do stairs so well anymore, do you? Why would you want to do that? And, and then when it comes to the bathrooms, do you remember the bathrooms? Aren't you glad we didn't do them just the same way as we did before? Those those seemed to be almost an afterthought at times when I was in that old building. But what is the consistency? The consistency is that Jesus is lifted up. The consistency is that Jesus is glorified. The consistency is that our friends are loved. Our friends are cared for. We pray for them. We, we care about them. We continue to grow in our love and care for our friends. And, and that, that love just continues to grow. We, we've been saying lately, love Jesus, love each other, love Kansas, and ultimately love beyond Kansas. This is us, what we've been looking at all summer. This is us, looking at the images from the Bible of who we are to be together. In a world where that's trying to pull us apart, in a world that tries to divide us and define us in other ways, it's very important that we get ahead of that and we tell people, no, no, this is us. This is who we are. This is what the church is. And some of the images we've looked at over the summer have been images that are very consistent, all the way through Bible, all the way through the Bible, all the way through the history of the church. Images like Jesus as the shepherd and us as his flock. That is a very consistent image. Some of the images uh, like salt and light, those are very consistent in what they they are and how we understand them. Some of the images change though. Some of those images transform and, and the images grow as we grow. And today we're looking at an image of transformation. This is us, the household. This is us, the household of God. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 19 just verses 19 through 22 if you want to use the blue bible in front of you it is page 977 if you happen to have a device with the bible app on it you would find our notes uh, and you'd find all the ser- all the scripture references I'm going to today Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 19 All right so then You are no longer strangers or aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit we're to understand who we are in this image this image of being the household of God then we have to get used to change <laughs> we have to get used to transformation from the very beginning of this passage we see that uh, from the very pre- from beginning we see that as the church as the household of God family family looks different here a few weeks ago we looked at the passage just before this when we were in verses 13 through 18, and it was there that Paul began this idea, not just of the household of God, but recognize when he says household of God, he's speaking of a temple, the, the temple of God. And it was there as Paul began, compared this to the temple, he made the point that this is not the old temple, the one that was in Jerusalem, this is a new temple that he's talking about. The old temple in Jerusalem had a wall around it that would keep people like you and me out. Uh, people who weren't welcome, people who weren't allowed to be there. That was called the wall of hostility. Anyone who was not a Jew was kept out of that temple. But now, Paul says in Christ, verse 14, he says, For He, for Jesus Himself, is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So as where before there was hostility, now there is peace where before there was division between groups of people, uh, now there is unity. And he goes on in verse 19, he says, So then you, all of you, you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's not just that you are at peace. It's not just that there is unity, but now there is, there is family here. And yet we realize family Family looks different here. Paul uses a couple words there in verse 19 that that we would still understand. He says you're no longer strangers. And a, a stranger in Paul's context is someone from another nation, from another country, who is passing through your country. They're not staying. They're just... Making their way through. And and what Paul is saying is that for that person, for that stranger, there are a set of rules that they have to live by. There are certain things they're not allowed to do. There's certain things that they don't have to pay taxes, for one, but they also don't receive the same protections that people in the nation. But Paul says there's no longer strangers here. We all have that. He says there's no longer aliens. No, he's not talking about those. He is talking about a resident alien. Because a resident alien is someone from another nation who now resides here. They have a home here, and there are certain privileges for those resident aliens, and yet there are certain things that a resident alien still can't do. They can't run for president, for one thing. Which is why we never got President Schwarzenegger. right? So that's something that a, a resident alien can't do. But Paul is saying that while the world focuses on these distinctions, to the point of excluding people who are different from us, that is not to happen in the church. Because the church is the family of God. Now now the Ephesians themselves, they needed to hear that from a racial point of view, because just like you and me, the Ephesians were not allowed in that temple in Jerusalem. They would not have been allowed to pass that wall of hostility. They needed to hear that racially. We need to hear it also, but don't miss the bigger picture because it is a picture of unity. We are all part of the household of God. Family looks different here because no one is excluded in this family. No one has to go sit at the kids' table for Thanksgiving dinner here. There's no one who doesn't get invited to the family reunions. Did anyone invite Cousin Billy this weird? No one does that no one there's no one who doesn't get claimed because they're 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 kind of on the outs with the rest of the family and there's no one who has an advantage over anyone else you realize you realize we don't say that just because verse 19 exists we say that because you and I make a commitment to each other you and I are committed to keeping the unity to keeping the peace to keeping the family together it's because of our commitment to each other and because of our commitment to Jesus. Family looks different here. Because no matter who we are, no matter who is here, we all find our strength in what Jesus is building within us. So when we hear talk of household, again, I want to remind you, when we hear talk of the household of God here, remember the imagery that Paul has in mind is not the imagery of, of the old homestead. It's not the imagery of the old family home. He's talking about the temple. And while you and I, because that's not part of our world, you and I have this notion that temples must have been like churches, that people went to temples to worship, people would gather at temples. While they did do that, the primary purpose of the temple was if you built that temple correctly, if you did everything right, then by the time you were done building that temple, the God that you worshiped would come down from the heavens and would take up residence at the temple. That He would come and dwell among His people. That was the purpose of the temple. To build a temple so perfectly that your God would come and worship and come, and come and live with you. Again, verse 19, He says it's the household of God. In other words, this is the place where God dwells. Not the building, mind you, but us together. And then verse 22, he, He's going to wrap everything up by saying, "In Him, in, in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you build the temple correctly, the God will come and live among you. He will come and dwell there. So how do you make sure that you're building the temple right? How do you make sure that you're building it good enough that, that the God is going to, to want to stay there, that He's going to want to live there? You build it to exact specifications. And it all starts with how you lay the foundation of that temple. You have to lay a firm foundation. You have to lay a solid foundation, a tested foundation, a strong foundation. Here, Paul says in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. You hear that? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's not merely the Word of God. It's not merely saying that we stand on the Word of God. But what is the message of the apostles? What is the message that that the prophets attest to. It is the message of the Gospel. That God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them, but that He was bringing us all together, and that through Christ, He has reconciled us. That there is this message of peace. It is the good news. It is the Gospel. The call of God that Jesus Christ welcomes you into relationship. That He's made us His own. That He's made us one. That is the Gospel. That is our foundation, and it stands by Jesus. It stands by His cross. It stands by His sacrifice. And that's why Jesus is called the cornerstone here and and in several other passages. There's always a little confusion when we read the word cornerstone in the Bible because we use it differently today than they used in their time. For, For instance, in our building, if you go out there into the entry area, that cornerstone is not bearing any load at all, is it, Dave? That's Purely decorative. That is a purely decorative cornerstone. Most cornerstones today are. They are just absolutely just decoration. That's all there is to them. In the ancient world, the cornerstone was the primary load-bearing stone for the building. Uh, The cornerstone was that that rock that all the other, the rest of the building had to line up with that cornerstone. The the cornerstone was the primary load-building. The rest of the building fell in line with it. Cornerstones were not decorative. They were essential. In fact, archaeologists, when they find the remains of buildings, very often all they find is a cornerstone, maybe a few foundation blocks, but they'll find a cornerstone. Over there in the Middle East, you know, where where Paul is writing, one archaeological dig found a cornerstone that weighed five hundred and seventy tons. Can you imagine? Dragging that stone in there and building your building, building whatever that building was on the foundation and lining it up with that cornerstone 570 tons. It's an essential part of the building. It's not, direct, it's not decorative. The, the significance of the cornerstone is also that if everything else was lost, the cornerstone would remain. That's why we find cornerstones when we go on digs. We just find those cornerstones. If everything else is lost, the cornerstone remains. So, if the floodwaters come, if the floodwaters come and wash everything else away, if you can get to the cornerstone and you can hold on to the cornerstone, it will save you. The cornerstone becomes a place of refuge. That's why Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah, in Isaiah twenty-eight verse sixteen, there it says. Although we we probably sing it more than we read it, is that verse that says, "God says, I am the one." Who has laid a foundation in Zion? A stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And then God makes this promise: Whoever believes will not be in haste. And I always thought, what's, what's that about? Whoever believes will not be in haste. Some of us take that literally. We we get to church late, right? We're not going to be in haste. <laughs> what does that mean? Whoever believes will not be will not be in haste to run away, because that cornerstone will save you. That cornerstone will protect you. You hold to that cornerstone. You do not abandon the cornerstone. Peter takes that idea just as Paul does here. Peter takes that idea in in 1 Peter and he applies it to Jesus. He says that's the stone that he's talking about in Isaiah is, is Jesus. And so yes, family looks different here, but as we build on the foundation of the Gospel, as we hold to Jesus together, the foundation is solid. As we Hold to him we are not swept away with the storms that come in our lives and it's from that solid foundation that we it's from that fo- solid foundation that we grow together so that we can glorify him together we began with the realization that family looks different here we're not strangers that we're, we're not people that don't fit in but we are one family we continued with that foundation that has been laid for us that foundation of the gospel that is solid, it is immovable. The foundation of the Gospel we stand on, the foundation of that Savior is our cornerstone that we cling to. So where do we go from here? Where does the building go? If our foundation is secure, if our cornerstone is, is strong, where do we go? The only way to go is up. Verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you also, all of you, are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You hear the present tense in those verses, right? You hear that present tense? This is still happening. The whole structure being joined together, it grows, it continues to grow into a holy temple. You are being built. This is not something that was just completed on the cross. This is not something where Jesus says, it is finished. Instead, Jesus says it is still growing. We are still becoming the people that we're supposed to be together. In other words, we're not finished yet. We may have had a grand opening nine years ago here, but we're not finished. Because you and I are not finished loving Jesus. You and I are not finished caring for our neighbors, loving our neighbors, and caring for our community. We're not finished being knit together in our relationships with each other. And as we grow together, the church continues to grow until verse 22, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We become a home for God as we make room for each other. We become that home for God as we make room for each other. And so when we say this is us, we say it with the realization that what What Kansas Christian Church looks like today is it's subject to change. It's subject to growth. I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but some of you, some of you don't look like you used to look. Not all of you, and certainly not me, but not all of us look like we used to look. (laughs) Believe it or not, some of you look older. Not all of you. Some of you look a little older. I used to joke when I first came here, there was this joke I had all the time. I, I would come I came in and I said, "You know, this town reminds me of a town I used to live in. This reminds me of the town I grew up in. I can't make that joke anymore. This town doesn't look a whole lot like the town that I grew up in anymore. Our community is changing. For one, our community is graying. we all. So how does Kansas Christian Church adjust the way that we love our neighbors in such a way that we support those who are getting older who suddenly are having a few different challenges than they used to have? Our our community is troubled. Our community is hurting. We've got people who are struggling with some, some big things in our community and they're just angry. How do we come alongside them and bring comfort? Isaiah 40, comfort my people. How do we... How do we come alongside them and bring the comfort or the, or the help that they need? There are kids in our community that are directionless. Jesus would say they are like sheep without a shepherd, right? So how do we come alongside them and show them that they are valued, that they are loved, that there are possibilities ahead for them? How do we invest ourselves in them so that they know there's a Savior that loves them? I think there's two factors in this text that Answer those questions. Help us answer those questions. The first factor is the foundation and the cornerstone. We do not move from the foundation. We do not leave the cornerstone. We stand on the Gospel. We cling to Jesus. But you realize that's just the beginning. The second is found there in verse 21. We are joined together, you and me, and we grow together. That requires that we not just hold to Jesus, but that we hold to each other. And we help each other out. Verse 22, the last verse of this chapter, "...in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Now, I've mentioned this before. There were no chapter divisions in the original text. Paul did not finish chapter 2, stop, put his quill down, and go have a sandwich, and then come back and say, now on to chapter 3. Instead, he just continued on. So if we read it correctly... Verse 22 says, In Him you also are being built together, all of you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason... Oh, continues the thought, doesn't it? For this reason, I, Paul... And then, okay, to be honest, Paul gets distracted for about 14 verses. (laughs) And he kind of runs off and chases a little rabbit. But he comes back in verse 14 and he says, For this reason... Oh, that sounds familiar, right? He Comes back to it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, because you are being built together, because you together stand on that foundation of the gospel, because you together are clinging to the cornerstone. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. It drives him to prayer. Our commitment drives him to prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, family looks different here, remember? No longer strangers and aliens from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. His Spirit in your inner being because you are being built into a temple that God is going to dwell in. So that Christ may dwell, there it is again, in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, it sounds like that foundation again, doesn't it? May have strength to comprehend with all the saints, What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And where does he go from there? Growing in our love for Jesus, growing in our love for each other, growing and growing more and more like Jesus. And from there, he gives us that wonderful blessing. Verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so I would ask, what is the most that you could ask God for our church? What is the most that you could ask God for our community, for Kansas, for for the community around us. What's the dream that you've got that you're not even sure you should be dreaming? Because it might cost too much. Because it might require too much commitment. Whatever that is, He promises immeasurably more, far abundantly more than whatever we could ask or think or imagine. He promises it to his glory here in the church and in Christ. So let's be the household of God. Let's be the household of God that he calls us to be. We take communion together to remind us of that foundation that's been laid for us together, of what Jesus has done for each one of us, what he's done for us together, that he has given his life, that he's given his blood. That He allowed His body to be broken so that we might be brought together. Not just saved, but that we might be made one. And so we take this and we look back to that, but we also take this and we look forward. And we wonder, what's He going to do next? How are we as the body of Christ, as, the, as, the, as, as part of His body, how are we going to see the glory that He brings next? I want to imagine big for our little town. I want, to, I want to, to wonder and dream those possibilities that might be out there. It begins with us standing together. Firm foundation. It begins with us being knit together and holding to each other. And then it's just a matter of seeing where He takes us next and what He builds through us. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we'll take together. Let's pray. Father, we praise You. We thank You so much for the life that You've given us through Your Son, for the blessings that we have through knowing Him. Father, those blessings aren't just for us, but there is a world of people around us who are hurting. There is a world of people around us who who need to know Your love. Lord, the best way for them to see that is to see that through us, through the way we care for them, through the way that we care for each other, through the way that together we stand firm on the message of, of the Gospel. The way we cling to our Savior, like He's the cornerstone that will save us from the from the flood around us. And Father, the way they see that is the way we are built together and the way we grow together, the way we hold to one another, as we become that dwelling place for you. And so I ask you not just to bless the bread and the cup as for what it has what it represents for us, but but for the possibilities that are ahead. As the life of Christ has continued to be seen in us and through us. our community, for the people that we love. Bless this time as we share it together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.